Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, brought to you by Roast House Pub, one of Frederick's finest craft beer and culinary destinations, where great people come to drink amazing beer. Visit them to track their taps and menu at roasthousepub.com, or download the digital pour app to track what's on tap. All right, once again, my name is Chris Sands. I host a podcast named the Uncapped Podcast, and we're going to have a panel discussion now about the East Coast Hop Project, a collaboration between... Flying Dog Brewery and the University of Maryland Extension Program. Starting off from my left, I have Ben Clark. Say hello. Hello. Closer to the mic so people can Uh, actually. Hello. There you go. And another Ben, Ben Savage. Hello. And what do you do here, by the way? I'm the Chief Marketing Officer. And Ben, you are? Brewmaster. To my right, we have Matt Brophy. Hello, Chief Operating Officer. And at the end, we have Brian Butler from the University of Maryland, and you are? I'm an extension agent in Carroll County, and thank you very much for having me today. Thank you for joining us. So um, I guess this may be uh, Matt Brophy and a Brian Butler question. Uh, How did this collaboration between University of Maryland and Flying Dog come to be? I think this probably started at the harvest of 2016, right? Yep, exactly. Yeah. Um, actually, our mutual friend, Tom Bars, which uh, many probably know, uh, uh, told me about what was going on out in Keatesville, and I drove out and uh, hooked up with Brian, met him for the first time, and saw what they were doing in terms of uh, the harvest that day, and he filled me in on the backstory of what they've been doing with uh, the whole project. So... In the, in the collaboration, what uh, what role does uh, Flying Dog play in this? Well, what we want to try to do really, and Brian can speak to this of course as well, is really determine what the kind of viability of growing hops in Maryland and, and the East Coast in general, but you know a little bit more specifically in Maryland, what growers can do to bring quality hops to market for brewers, whether they're Flying Dog Brewery or some smaller brewers in the state. And can you give us a little more in depth of what you're working on, Brian? Oh, well, sure. Um, The project uh, sort of just sort of kind of developed almost out of the blue. Um, There was some interest in hops production, but we didn't know how viable it could be. Um, So we started trying to look at what we thought would be the best first step, which was varieties. Um, so we, we planted 12 different varieties in a replicated trial to see what would actually grow here. Since most of these plants have been bred to grow out in the Pacific Northwest under very different environmental conditions, we wanted to see when we bring these plants here to this very humid, very hot environment, how are they going to act and which ones might have some viability. So we started that way. Um, then as we moved forward with the partnership, we added 12 more varieties. And um, we're really looking at how to handle these plants, how to manage these plants, and if these, uh, we're, we're sort of bringing the, the horticultural and agronomic part to the table, well, Flying Dog then takes it from there, and then can we make beer with them? Are they any good? So what was the total number of varieties that you've tried? The, the total number right now is 24, 24 in the trial. And so how many of those became viable options? I think right now we're really still in the very early stages. Uh, We're going to be looking at this as a a long-term partnership to really be able to create 
good, solid, research-based information to determine how well these things will work here, and, and, and quite frankly, if they will work, if this is going to be a viable opportunity. So we have some that look less good, and we have some that look maybe pretty good. So right now, we're, we're just kind of working through that, and that's the guide that we've been working on. There's so much great information there um, that, that Ben and Matt put together uh, in the evaluation of these hops. I think it's going to be very exciting for a lot of people. And if we keep in mind, you know, for the past few years, there have we've, had, we've, we've seen some successful cultivation in Maryland, uh, primarily varieties like Cascade and Chinook. And what Brian's doing is really bringing a lot more varieties into the mix to see what other varieties. And of course, for those who don't know, there's scores of varieties of hops. And so it's really investigating all, not necessarily all of those scores of varieties, but in this case, 24 to start and then see where we go from there. So the, as I guess part of a proof of concept from that project, is that what, where uh, Field Notes and this collection of beer was born? Well, of course, Field Notes is the, uh, the, the product, at least uh, for this year, we, can, we, we are committed to c continue working on this project for many years to come. Um, so Field Notes is the product of working with Brian and his all his research, lots of intense work on his part in kind of putting a lot of this data together and then us uh, helping to publish it. Now the East Coast Hop Projects is, is a little bit different in terms of us working with uh, farms that are, are already commercially producing hops that are available uh, each year for brewers to use. So in, in a part of... Um just a, your normal operating every year you take a trip to Yakima Valley right yeah that's correct so when you look at North American hop production I'd say about 90 plus percent of hops are cultivated in the Pacific Northwest and so a lot of those are in the Yakima Valley the vast majority in Washington State and so uh, of course, we buy a tremendous amount of hops. Most of our beers are hop forward. So we travel out there every year. We're buying uh, hundreds of thousands of pounds of hops and we're evaluating each lot until we find ones that we know are the quality that we're looking for and are compatible with the beers that we're making. So what is the, the benefit, maybe we'll let Ben Clark answer this, to to sourcing the your hops locally instead of getting them from the west coast sure yeah if you can if you can mimic the quality and the characteristics of the hops on the west coast why not get them locally we have you know individual relationships with all the farmers that we're working on specifically with this project and you know farmers beyond that as well and I think any time when you can, you know, you can showcase a local ingredient, something that you've kind of had your hands in, you've been part of going out and checking out those fields and, you know, seeing the hops actually grow, maybe selecting the actual hops themselves off the vines, and, you know, kind of hits home. And it's important to us as the individuals that are, you know, creating the recipes and, and making the beer, but I think also there's a connection there for the, the consumers as well. So what, what would you say is the, the biggest need you have as a brewery when it comes to sourcing the hops from the, the local area of the East Coast? I think what we found from this project so far, it's like you, you go into the evaluation stage. So after Brian has already gone through harvesting and um, you know, pelletizing the hops, we've, we obtain, obtained them and we went through some sensory trials, if you will. 
you kind of go into it with preconceived notions of what you expect those hops to be like. Many of them you're rather familiar with, or you at least know that, hey, this is a bittering variety, this is a, an aroma variety that should have X you know, characteristics. Um, Vajvadina was a variety that I was not familiar with at all. So before I'm kind of checking that out, I, I look online and it's like cedar woody. And it's like when we actually check it out, it was, it was different from that. We got melon and kind of mint. And in my head, when I'm thinking melon and woody, I'm thinking like a darker beer. And what we got was something that might work well in like a light spring springtime beer. So is that to say there's something wrong with the local hops? No, it's just it's a different it's a different expression of the hop. Maybe it's something with the climate, maybe the actual strain that he has. We'll see when we're out in Yakima, field to field variations where we're selecting for specific uh, quality of those hops. Some years it's in one area, some areas it's in another. So the one thing that I found uh, in in the East Coast Hop Project Pack was that I, I feel like the hop quality maybe is has grown a lot. Is that is that a fair statement to say for Maryland grown hops? Because I I wouldn't I lackluster is a strong word to use, but I feel like like in previous years maybe they they were like beers that were made exclusively. From Maryland hops, but I think if I could, if I could just jump in, not from a technical side, but I I think, you know, conceptually, I think it's important to understand that there's a there's a trap we can fall into, and we actually were just discussing this in in a prior meeting, that, you know, to put it up against the standard of what uh, West Coast sort of rip your face off juicy citrusy IPA hop would be is really, I think it's unfair. And so I think what we're looking for, to Ben's, Ben Clark's point, is that we're looking for hops that are maybe, you know, unique to the East Coast, that can impart a unique flavor to beer that we haven't seen before, A. Or B, it's just maybe there are hops that we can grow on the East Coast that fit well into potentially not necessarily hop-forward beers. So it could be a perfectly great hop for a an amber lager or a whippy or whatever. I think I think that's where we're we're starting out because I think if you if you try to chase this dream that we're going to all grow mosaic in, you know, Frederick County, like that may not happen for decades. And so it's really to just we we try to be disciplined and compare the beer to what an actual pale ale should taste like and, and how the hops are interacting with the beer and I think those are the sta- the standards at which we we are trying to uh, achieve, and I think that that's sort of an important uh, benchmark to kind of remind ourselves every time we go because it's easy because we're a hoppy, we're a hop forward brewery. Are we always going to? Oh, I hadn't this noticed. Recipe? Yeah, <laughs> you like IPAs, <laughs> right? So, but I think these hops, these Maryland hops, can can find a home in a lot of different beer styles, and I think that's what we're trying to find first, and then maybe you know five, ten years from now we can continue to breed and find those special varieties that really can become really hop forward. Uh, you know the citrusy IPAs. Well, I think there's also two questions here. So one one question is, is can it be done, and the other question is is can it be done and it be sustainable. And when I say can it, what is it? It is well, can we grow good Cascade and Chinook in Maryland? And the answer is yes, we can. Um, the question is 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 that sustainable and can we do it year over year with good quality and have uh, the economics of it work for both the growers and the brewers? So, Brian, what is what does the University of Maryland get out of this? Well, quite frankly, it's 
very important for us uh, as a land-grant institution, as the flagship for university of the of the state. We really want to do research that, that is applicable to people in this state, that is driven by industry or driven by a need. And this project affords us the opportunity to have direction, to take direction, and to have financial support from the largest brewery in the state. And so the type of work we're able to do, we know we are doing work that is applicable to the, in, the industry. We know we're doing work that is going to help many people in this state. And with the guidance of Flying Dog, it helps me keep my research focused and the project moving in a direction that is really going to be beneficial. Sometimes it's very easy to take research and go off in a direction and it really doesn't benefit anyone. This is intended to directly benefit people just as quickly as we can do it. So how, what has the student response been to this project and the program? Um, I, I think that uh, the overall response has been pretty positive. That is it just that they find it the agriculturally cool or that the, that they're working with Maryland's largest brewery, one of the largest breweries in the country? And I, I think certainly both. I, I think depending on where, where the individual is coming from, um, it's, uh, there, there's, a, there's certainly an, an increasing amount of excitement, I think, uh, as they learn more about this project. And I think, you know, not to uh, be a spoiler, but I think Brian and and his team and, and Flying Dog are working on some programs to, to better engage this, the student body. And we have some ideas that can take this partnership to the next level where we could get uh, some programs in place where students are more involved. Um, so Ben and uh, Matt, maybe you guys can give us a rundown of the beers themselves. A quick description, um, what, what hops are used in each one, um, maybe even did so. Um, were these solely sourced from the farmers that we'll be talking to soon, or were they from a variety of uh, farmers throughout Maryland? Yeah, so all three beers utilize the hops. There's one hop variety, or one one farm basically represented by each beer. So, and it is represented 100% in the beer. We also have some local malt from the Ag Extension in Keedysville in, in all three of these beers. So. Uh, as you can as you can imagine, all three being kind of hop focused, what we wanted to do was keep the malt profile very simple, um, a little bit with the exception to the rye, which has has a little more malt character going on. But the rye was also supplied um, from Brian's team. The yeast as well is basically the same yeast across the board. It's going to be a very clean fermented yeast. We want the hops to kind of come through. We want to see what we're getting um, specific to each of these farms and to the varieties. So you have three beers, a pale ale, an IPA, and a rye pale ale. So the pale ale is utilizing hops from Pleasant Valley Hops here locally in Frederick. Uh, the hops specifically are Nugget and Cascade. Primarily we use the nugget for bittering. There's a little bit on the, on the finish at late, late in the boil and um, the cascade for a dry hop. The IPA is uh, black locust hops. They're located closer out in the Baltimore area. Um, obviously being an IPA, we added the most hops to this beer in particular and the varieties there are cascade and chinook. And then finally, uh, the rye is utilizing hops from Peterson Hop Farms up in upstate New York. Uh, Matt and I made a trip up there, gosh, I don't know, it was months ago, up north Summer. of the yeah, summertime, yeah, sure. Uh, up north of the Finger Lakes, there was kind of a 
nice trip, beautiful area, and uh, we met met Rick Peterson up there, and he's been he's been really doing this op thing for a while longer than we've been doing it down here. We wanted to kind of pull somebody in and you know see see you know what they were what they were seeing in their like little you know the kind of their like microcosm up there in their climate and. you know, his infrastructure is probably a little further along than we are down here. You had asked earlier about if we're seeing a progression of the hops. I'd say over the last five or six years, what we've seen just coming through the hop market that we, we usually host here each year. You know, the first year it was all whole leaf hops, and we've gotten to the point where we've got pelletized hops, which is really what we're looking for with analytics and everything. So there's there's definitely been some movement down here with that. But, um, yeah, Rick's, Rick's beer has um, centennial hops and a little bit of Mount Hood. So would it, would this um, package of beer even been possible a few years ago, with with the type of yields that were that Maryland was producing? Likely possible in the in the quality that it is um, today. I don't I don't know. Likely not. Um, you know, we could have gone down this road and had like five or six backups on hand. You know, a couple yeah. of years ago. And certainly not the volume. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I don't know if we'd achieve the volume. And the other thing too is that the pelletization has really, you know, something that's really been coming online, and, and that's an important uh, important thing for brewers like us. We, pr- we definitely uh, prefer to work with the pelletized hops over the whole hops. And so that's a whole extra step for the hop uh, growers and the processors to go through. Yeah, that that was going back to that question about what we get out of this project is when we started working on this, Matt said, okay, it's great if you can, you grow great hop. That's wonderful. It's really cool. But we've got to be able to use it. So we immediately, in in our second year at that research farm, installed a processing facility so that we could take the pup all the way through. And as I've spoken to many different groups, people don't realize that post-harvest handling component, how important it is. And that comes directly from working with the industry partner. So Ben, I think, uh, question for you, from a marketing standpoint, how big of a deal do you, do you consider it to be that you can say that this was a, a Maryland, a fully a Maryland, Maryland product? Um, you know, I think I think it is valuable. I, th- I think there's two things, two big things we're trying to achieve. One is that um, I think beer has a, a perception problem in that people don't understand it naturally to be a, an agricultural product. And so from our standpoint, whatever we can do to kind of remind people that this is, you know, th- these ingredients come from the earth and that they're farms and... It's, uh, it's every bit as romantic as, as wine would be. Uh, I think that's one thing we're trying to achieve. The other thing I think is that, you know, with this project in particular, the East Coast Hop Project, is that, you know, these farms could use, could use some help in highlighting the, the stuff that they're doing. And I think that it, the hop industry isn't gonna grow on the East Coast just because they put in more hops in their field. It's, it's only gonna grow if brewers embrace it, if brewers, feel like the quality is where it needs to be and and then why not take that and shine a big light on these farms and so this project in particular we're able to highlight three specific farms where Ben and Matt have determined um, that their hops are good and um, viable and they impart uh, unique characteristics in the beer and so we wanted to use our brand presence to say hey let's let's give these farms some credit for doing it the right way um, and we hope that there's more farms that grow every year that 
that can do it the right way, and, um, and that's what we're trying to achieve with this project. So tell me a little bit about the pamphlet, the Grower's Guide. Was it, did Flying Dog create this, or was this a University of Maryland product? That's definitely a collaboration right there. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, neither one of us could have done it without the other. Um, there's sections that all of us wrote. Um, Flying Dog certainly put a tremendous amount of time and effort into putting that book together. Um, we hope that it will be a very useful tool for a lot of different people in a lot of different ways, uh, but it's a very collaborative effort. At reading through it, one thing I liked about it is that you don't have to know a lot to be able to, to get information from it, but it seemed like if you were someone who did know a lot, you would be able to take the information from this and do something with it. That, that's kind of what we're shooting for. Um, we, we're, we're shotgunning a little bit. We've got a very broad audience. Uh, we'll, we'll work to continue to refine what that audience wants, what they're looking for, who they are. Um, but this is our first shot at this, and I think it's a beautiful book, and I think it's a very useful tool. Uh, and for someone who's just curious, I think they can have some fun with it, too. Is yeah. there plans to update this every year? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. I mean, look, with, with this guide, it's, it's about, um, you know, we all stand on the shoulders of giants. And so what we're trying to do is we don't, We'd rather this not take 20 or 30 years to actually create East Coast hop industry. Um, and so why not take a moment to share what we learn every year so that people just starting out or putting rhizomes in the ground, like they, they already start with a head start. And so that's, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to speed up this evolution so that, because we'll benefit, Brian will benefit, the, the crappier industry will benefit if everybody can just take what we've all already learned and, and start from that point instead of starting from scratch. I know I, for one, am going to study this because I have killed a hop rhizome for the last uh, probably five years straight. So this will be the year that I've received one that I will keep it alive. Thanks to you guys. <laughs> so what, what does Flying Dog have planned going forward for this project? Well, it's actually, so we met we met today. Um, I think we're just going to keep plugging away. I think we have some small tweaks we're going to make to what we're doing, what Brian and his team are doing out in, in Keatesville, just so we can continue to learn. We're going to keep an eye on the hops that we think are really viable. And um, from from my standpoint, I think it's just kind of doing things to get better every year. We might introduce some new farms next year. Uh, field notes may or may not be exactly the same. You know, we, we're we kind of learning too, so uh, we're excited. I, I tell you one thing, we are excited to have this partnership uh, starting at the beginning of the season. You know, we, we didn't quite hook up until uh, middle of July last year, so one of the things we talked about today is that, like we have a whole year now to, to make this better and better each week, each month, and, and I think that's what we're excited. So we're, we're not sure where this is going to go, but um, we know it's going to get better each year. Do you have anything to add, Matt? No, I mean, I think it's it's a very worthwhile project. And I think whenever we can be in a position to support agriculture in the, in the state, and as Ben uh, mentioned earlier, I think that a lot of people don't connect agriculture with beer, but it is an agricultural product. And the fact that we can use, um, you know, Kittiesville is 20 minutes from here, so that we can use malt uh, or barley that's been malted, right, uh, in our beer and use uh, hops that are grown um, in the state of Maryland, I think that's huge. And I think to continue 
with sharing the information and seeing what what's really possible for the viability of uh, beer agriculture in this state is, is a worthwhile endeavor. Great. Thank you, gentlemen. I think we will take a quick break and then we'll reconvene with all of the uh, farmers to talk about the struggles and successes of growing hops in Maryland. Thank you, Chris, awesome. for everything you're doing for Craft Beer. This is an incredible podcast. Thank, yeah, you. thank you, Chris. Thank you very much. Thank you to our presenting sponsor, Roast House Pub, which is located at 5700 Urbana Pike in Frederick, Maryland. If you have listened to this podcast before, you have definitely heard me go on and on about the beer dinners that Chef Nico creates. Simply put, they are amazing. But Roast House Pub has much more to offer. Their friendly staff is knowledgeable about beer and will help you choose from among the 20 beers they have on tap. In addition to the awesome beer selection, the food is always amazing. Make sure to follow them on Facebook and check their website at www.roasthousepub.com to keep up to date on their constant stream of events. And thank you to our supporting sponsor, Craft Alliance Packaging Solutions. Craft Alliance Packaging Solutions has been serving the craft beverage industry since 2012 and prides itself in helping their customers excel in a constantly growing industry. From concept to cooler, CAPS offers solutions to your packaging needs, providing mobile bottling services, technical support, keg repair, rental bright tanks, and much more. It is their goal to help you grow your brand and your business and make your product stand out. Be different, look different. For more information, visit capsbottles.com. All right, now for the second portion of the East Coast Hop Project panel discussion, we'll be talking to the farmers involved with this project. To my left, we have Rick Peterson, Che Carton. Oh, actually, Rick, can you say hi so people know what your voice sounds like? Hello. Uh, che Carton. Hello. And what farm are you with also? Peterson Farms in um, Seneca Castle, New York. How'd you come up with that name? <laughs> That's lack of imagination. Che, what's the name of your farm? Black Locust Hops. And once again, we get to my right, we have Brian Butler from the University of Maryland. Hello again. And we have Dan Carroll from uh, Pleasant Valley Hops. Hello, everybody. All right, gentlemen. Last uh, segment, we discussed the focused on the the beer itself. Now, I'd like to dig a little bit more in depth with the how growing hops in Maryland and I guess also in New York is going. Um, I guess one, have you found the research that's come out of this project so far um, helpful? Have you had a chance to look at it first? And uh, actually, haven't had a chance to look at it yet. Um, I'm sure all the research has and will be helpful in the future. Uh, Brian's been doing excellent work. So, Jay, uh, definitely gotten some good information from Brian. I think it's still early in general. Uh, as time passes, I'm sure we'll learn more as it takes with science. So how, how long have you been operating your farms? And we'll, we'll start from the left and go down. So I started in 1999. So we're going into our uh, 19th year. Um, started it as a hobby and got out of control. <laughs> how many acres are you growing? Uh, we've had as many as 23. I, I gave some up this year, so we're down to around 19 or 20. So is the um, 
is the climate in New York favorable to growing hops? Yes, New York in the 1800s was the world leader of uh, hop production. And so it's obviously we can grow them there. We just have to relearn all that knowledge that was lost over the generations. So do you feel like New York, can, can you grow the same and be at the same level that the West Coast is? It's going to take a little more experience, more research. The research is, is key, it really is, to learning how to do it in this climate versus the desert of the Pacific Northwest. Um, and the varieties are going to be different. We have to develop our own varieties. And um, we're just starting down that road, but it'll be a while. So, Che, how long have you been operating your farm? Uh, we planted our first hops in 2006. So how, how much has the, the landscape of growing hops in Maryland and on your farm changed since you started? Uh, I guess there were a lot of small farmers when we first started coming online, and that, I think to some degree that's rooted out to a few people that are serious about it. And um, Dan, how long how long has your farm been around? Uh, we first planted our first plants in 2011, uh, and we just recently expanded uh, to another farm to expand varieties and based off of Brian's uh, research that he's doing to see what's really grown around here. What is the the number one hurdle with being able to successfully grow hops in Maryland? There's a lot of them. Uh, <laughs> where to start? Humidity is a huge issue that we have here. Uh, we get the hot summer days that comes along with them. Uh, but with that, you have all the different pests and disease that the guys out west do not have, uh, or it makes it a lot easier for them. So is that is it um, just the humidity, or is it that, like... What, uh, from reading through the pamphlet, I, one thing I noticed that where it said when, there, when there's a lot of rain, that's what encourages the disease and the pests. So is it, is um, like a dry, arid climate more conducive to hop growing or because of those reasons? It is. Uh, they have their own separate issues, uh, different diseases that they deal with. Uh, with the humidity and the rain that we get, that late spring, uh, mid to late May, early June, it just sparks like a snowball. And if you don't get on top of it, it can ruin your entire year in a matter of days. So, What have you found that is hop growing in Maryland sustainable? And what is the level of sustainability for it? It is. Um, it takes a little bit more effort, a little more inputs. Uh, versus some of the guys out west having the right pieces of equipment can also help a lot uh, every year we're growing and, and we're learning so much that uh, I wish I could pinpoint one thing to say this is what it's going to take to be successful uh, ask me in 10 years and I'll probably still be learning so we'll see now Rick you had said it started out as a hobby so did you go go straight to growing hops on your farm or were you growing other pro agricultural products? No, I've been farming since uh, 83 on my own, and prior to that I worked on farms and had a garden since I was a little kid. 
Um, <clears throat> so the hops were just something I, I wanted to just try it to see if I could do it. And um, it took a long time to get brewers to try it. They didn't, you know, what's an East Coast hop? You know, why do I want this thing? So I, I spent a couple of years just going around giving hops away. Please just try these. Then you went into the 2000s and there was kind of a, a lull in the, the brewing, crap brewing industry. Um, but once it turned into the you know, 2011, 12, that's when it really started to take off again. So what, what and it, so it was just the curiosity that led you to want to add hops into? I grow all kinds of weird stuff and I've tried <laughs> just about everything over my career. I, I have a large farm and I've grown almost every vegetable there is at some point or another. And um, yeah, it was, it was a challenge. Uh, I, was, I made uh, home brew and always liked interesting beers and I was gonna make my own beers and uh, with my own ingredients and had it in the back of my head that I, someday I might have the, the first uh, estate brewery where all ingredients came from one property. But as the farm grew, I got too busy doing other things and, and so now I'm just a crop grower. So Dan, w were you growing other crops before hops also, or did you start start the farm just to get into hops? Yeah, it's solely uh, hops, and to this day we only grow hops. Uh, we're looking into other things, possibly in the future, but we want to narrow down what it takes to be sustainable with the hops first. Chase, same question. Uh, we started growing because uh, we homebrew avidly, and in 2005 there was a worldwide hop shortage so we planted some varieties that we couldn't get a hold of and we're working with some local brewers and it ballooned from there. <laughs> so Brian, from the research that you, you've done and what you're seeing, are you encouraged by the prospect of the sustainability and where the East Coast and specifically Maryland hops can go? You know, I, I really am. Um, I came at this project as an absolute skeptic. I came at this um, from the perspective that I did not think this would work at all, that I didn't think it could be done. I thought it was impossible. Um, when, I, when I decided to get involved in the project, though, I decided that I would go 100% full speed. We would do everything we could to try to make this be successful. And um, I think we've had some pretty exciting results. Um, actually, the very first year, um, people said, oh, you won't even get to the top wire with your hops. Well, we had enough hops to make a beer. And actually, Dan had to come over. He, he volunteered. He came over with his harvester and harvested for us. So we were actually able to harvest those hops and make a beer the first year we grew hops. So I'm very optimistic. And at the same time, I always tell people to you know, realize this is a very intensive crop. Um, it takes a lot of effort, a lot of time. Uh, we are in a very unique climate. We seem to get all of the problems from the north, all of the problems from the south, and um, it's a crop that you just don't really know what's coming around the next corner. Um, we've been growing a lot of things for a long time, and we know what to expect. With this one, um, it's challenging. So why were you so pessimistic? Um, I think basically for me, it was a crop that really, I, I saw where it was growing uh, in that high desert. Um, irrigation, very arid climate. Um, most of the breeding for say the last 70 or so years has been done for plants to fit that environment. We bring this plant here and it's just 
to me, it didn't seem like it was a suitable plant to grow in our environment. Um, we do have a lot of insect issues. We have a lot of disease issues, but they don't seem to be insurmountable. The question is, can we do it in a sustainable way, both for environmentally and financially, and produce that, that quality and quantity we really need to do? So what is it that makes it non-sustainable? What are the challenges with that? Um, I think that um, if the disease pressure is too high, certain varieties may not work at all. Insect pressure can be rather uh, an important problem. Um, for example, we'll have a situation where leafhoppers will move in. Leafhoppers will cause a lot of damage to the plants. We might spray some type of a pesticide to kill those leafhoppers, and we'll get a mite flare up. The mites become a problem. Um, quality can be lost. Yield can be lost. Um, they're a high input crop, it's, it's expensive to uh, establish, um, and then there's really got to be a market. Um, so we're trying to figure out, is there a market and can we grow them? Um, so we're really kind of coming at this in two different directions. So what, um, what varieties have each of you had success with? And it, is it very dependent on the variety for, what, for the climate on what can grow there? Yeah, that I've had the most success with the sea hops, which are Cascade, Columbus, um, Chinook, and so on. Uh, the Cascades, I've actually um, reached West Coast yields. So we know we can get the yield, we can get the quality, and we're working on the price. So those are the three barriers to the hop brewers, and um, we're getting to where we've got those covered. And the varieties, um, some of them just aren't going to work. The size is one that comes to mind that it doesn't yield well even where it's uh, indigenous. Uh, so that one I had for a number of years, and it, <laughs> it, it got pulled out, and we moved on. So do, do they still do they have the same characteristics and flavor profiles mm -hmm. as when they're grown on the West Coast, or are they completely different on the East Coast? Generally speaking, they're similar but they're not the same. Um, East Coast hops seem to be a little more mellow, uh, not quite as edgy, uh, lend themselves to more sessionable beers. We get more melon tones and earth tones, less pine. So the, what, what specific aspects of the climate, it has the effects on whether or not a certain strain can grow in that climate? Do you know, is it the rainfall? Is it what the the soil, or is it just a combination of all of them? Anyone? The number one disease problem is downy mildew, and that's totally moisture dependent. And it's not just rainfall or humidity; it's also dew. So part of the first line of defense is the location of your hop yard. If there's good sunshine, good air movement, you're not down in a fog pocket. Um, just so things dry out quickly when they do have wet periods. So it seems like, despite it being a weed, more or less, it still seems to be a, one of the hardest crops to grow successfully. Yeah. You can throw the rhizome on the ground and it'll grow, and it'll grow up a tree, and that's why it's called the populus lupulus, the wolf vine. It just conquers everything. But just, but just go ahead and try to do it as a, as an, as a uh, commercial crop, and it's a whole different animal. Uh, it's extremely complex from the day you plant it until the day you put it in the package. 
So one of the things mentioned several times was the labor-intensive. Keep your face now. The labor-intensive nature of hop growing. Um, what what specific parts of that are? The, what's what's the labor involved? Uh, they come in spurts. So actually, starting tomorrow morning at seven a.m., we'll have roughly ten guys total to begin stringing uh, our one hop yard, and we'll at least do a 12-hour day tomorrow and probably a 12-hour day on Sunday in hopes to actually string the entire 10 acres, uh, top and bottom. Um, with that, you have all that labor, and then in a couple weeks, you gotta train all those same hops that you just uh, put the strings in the ground for. So there becomes another one, and they all come at different times as well. So you might do one variety one week and then another variety is a couple weeks behind that or one or two weeks behind that uh, and then obviously harvest time is the exact same thing uh, another big spurt of labor with uh for is, so actually take me through the down. yeah what's what's the process for harvesting hops you physically cut down the entire bind so you string and all things go well you get a 20-foot bind at the end of the year that entire bind gets cut down and sent through a picker after it gets sent through a picker you also have to dry it which is you can ruin your entire crop during harvest in a matter of an hour or two if you don't do things properly and in order um, it's it's another learning curve here as well because of we get rainy days late August uh, early September as well so having the correct heat when you're drying things and then they got to get into a bale and into a freezer as well um, until you go to like packaging pelletizing if you're doing whole leaf uh, and so forth so of the East Coast Hot Project beers what's your favorite one I have to say it's the the pale ale u utilizing uh, Pleasant Valley hops uh, it's just really clean uh, great flavor um, the other ones are good though. But. Rick, what's your favorite? I like them all. <laughs> and Che? I also like them all. Right, I do like them all. <laughs> I think they did that just to make you feel bad. Uh, Brian, you have to pick one. Which is your favorite? Well, I'm on the clock. So, um, uh, so you haven't tried? Next episode, next time you invite me back, I'll, I'll tell you which. Gotcha. So, so I, I assume all of you plan on continuing to grow hops, so you do fully believe that this is an endeavor worth going down. Yeah, we're kind of in a tough spot right or period right now just because there's a world glut of hops and the, there's a lot of pressure on pricing, and it's for things like Cascade, it's even hard to sell them at any price. Um, but all along, there's getting to be more and more local brewers that are committed to using local product that are taking as much as they currently can fit into their recipes and they're developing more and more beers all the time using East Coast hops. Um, it, it, it's just a matter of getting the supply and the demand figured out. And um, Actually, so that that's interesting because all I've ever heard about were hop shortages. I didn't realize that. Up no. until two years ago, Everybody was scrambling because the craft industry it was demanding hops faster than they were being planted. Well, we 
So there's an overcompensation? It's, yeah. Okay. Too many hops got planted. So I met, does that make it, so that does that fall into the sustainability portion of it where prices are being driven right. low yeah. enough where it, it's not as profitable, not quite as worth? It depends on your relationship with your brewer. Some of them are, will continue to, to support you and, and not force you into the basement with the, you know, the, the spot market people. Um, so you have to take care of those guys. And um, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> that happens. <laughs> well, there's certainly, the economic situation is a really big part of this because we talk about sustainability many times. We talk about you know the environmental issues, that type of thing. But we have to have sustainability from a financial perspective. So these guys have to be able to make money. And I think that's one of the important things we're trying to do with the project as well is look at the costs associated with this um, and really try to figure out and get this dialed in as best as we can um, because economic vi viability is hugely important um, it, it comes back to the same issue is we can do this but is this something we should be doing is it going to be and these guys are optimistic I mean these guys are pioneers um, it's really interesting to work with people that are taking the risks that these guys are taking uh, so we really want to try to support them as much as we possibly can with this work. So what are the next steps for your project? Um, basically to, to continue to collect that data. As Che mentioned earlier in, in the program, that science moves slowly and we have to accumulate this data. And um, we're going to do some things that are going to push some edges. Um, we're going to try some stuff that I will tell them, I'll say, you know, look, this is what I'm going to do. I'm not telling you this is what you should do. but. Um, we're going to try it and see where we come out, and um, we're going to just kind of keep pressing along. And, um, and again, continuing to take advice uh, on varieties as we change. Che's been instrumental in, in uh, suggesting, uh, Che and Lisa suggested a lot of the varieties that went in the second 12 planting uh, that we made. Um, they recommended a lot of those varieties, so we're, we're looking for grower input. So, and then... Year after year, what is the type of data that you're that you find the most important that you can provide, and what kind of data are you guys looking at for the most? Uh, what we're trying to provide as much as we possibly can. We're doing a full uh, chemical analysis of the dry hop. We're doing a full chemical analysis of the uh, pelletized hop. Um, we knew that when we do this project, we had to carry it all the way through and make pellets. Uh, we're looking at yields, uh, we're looking at cultural practices, uh, fertility, pest management, um, uh, training, uh, crowning, all of these issues, all of these types of, uh, of things. We're trying to collect that information and make it available as soon as we can, but we want to do it for long enough that we have confidence that we're really telling them the right thing. That's the most important thing. It's one of this research-based information, not someone's opinion. And and I think it's important this work be done wherever we're trying to grow hops. It's different in New York. It's, it's different, different here. It's, it's different, different in Virginia. Virginia it's, it's different, different in Ohio. Ohio. Um, you really got to look at some local work, work, and that's what we're trying to provide for, for these folks Gentlemen, I were I want to thank you for giving us your time and filling us in on the, the struggles and the successes that you've been having on. Uh, growing hops in Maryland. Um, so thank you once again. Thank you everyone for uh, listening. Thank you. 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 Thank you.